Hello and welcome to the very first episode of this podcast series with Matthew Hosel, trumpeter, composer, producer, and the label founder of Gondwana Records. And he just released his landmark album, An Ever Changing View. Since 2008, Matthew has released nine studio albums alongside running Gondwana Records, and he has become a vital voice in UK music. My name is Mari, and I'm thrilled to deep dive into the creation of the beautiful album by Matthew Hosso. But to kick off this podcast series, we are going to discuss his musical origins. In nightclubs,、uh, I was learning about music in the best possible way. And about an exciting music landscape it was in Manchester in the early 2000s. It was exactly the dream scenario for me. So let's dive in. I'm a jazz trumpet player from Manchester. I also run a record label、uh, called Gondwana Records. I've been releasing music for 15 years and、um, working with artists as an AR and a record producer in that period as well. Yeah, and it's, it's been an amazing journey, really.、I'm, I feel really blessed to be able to be creative and earn a living from creativity and collaboration. I want to go way back of your life and、uh, I want to know what kind of child you were, you know, the childhood memories and stuff. What kind of kid were you? My parents have always said I was really happy. And smiley as a child, and I liked to make things、um, always, even in the very beginning. I remember there's a photo of me、um, which I have to find, which is me playing a drum at like two or three years old. And when I was maybe around six, seven years old, I was really into making things out of cardboard actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I loved art and, and all sorts of textiles and things. And, but I made a drum kit out of cardboard, an entire drum kit, which I wish I still had because it, it was quite amazing. And I used to play, play the drums in this、uh, unique style of my own. My dad was an art teacher. My mum was, she taught textiles and fashion, sort of design and all sorts of things. My mum was quite. Unique,、uh, shall we say? She used to do lots of different night school classes, teaching people vegetarian cookery at, in the 80s and stuff. And、uh, she also was probably the more entrepreneurial one in the family.、Uh, she had her own shops where she imported furniture and beautiful things from all over Asia and India and China and Tibet. and One of her shops was actually called Gondwana, and、uh, that was、uh, where the name for the record label came from. I used to work in the shop when I was 17, 18, and for her it was about an idea of when the world was all joined as one, as a supercontinent, and、um, uh, the southern one was called Gondwana, but she just liked the sound of it. and、uh, 
the kind of way it was written. And uh, when the shop closed, I was like, I'm going to take that name and use it in my own uh, business and stuff, if you don't mind. And she was really happy. So, so my dad was always showing us art and very, very good at teaching art. I really loved painting and drawing and, and still do now. I wish I had a big art studio that I could just create mess in. Um, but my brother luckily does have an art studio and does all that so at least one of us uh, um, Daniel who does the graphic design for the record label he ha does also still paint and, and create beautiful pieces of art so it's in the family so, yeah. yeah you grew up in such a cultural and uh, arty environment how about music was music always playing in your house yeah, it was actually. Uh, we were really lucky that my mum's dad, my granddad, he worked for a, a company called Plums Electronics. And so he had access to amazing hi-fis and, and things because that's what they sold. So we had like this this really beautiful Bang & Olufsen record player, which I think was maybe 70s 80s it was it had like a walnut finish and it had these amazing touch um sensitive volume buttons and stuff so you would put your finger on it and the volume would go up and down and, and the little beautiful red lights would kind of move and make light and being really really young my parents were happy for me to go through the record collection and I think my first memories of music were listening to records in the house, things like The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, Gatefold Record, things like Jimi Hendrix, a lot of soul blues and not loads of jazz. My parents didn't listen to the type of jazz that I became obsessed with, but they, they had stuff that had improvisation in it, uh, like Pink Floyd and uh, all sorts of stuff. So I would listen to records, uh, get excited about all of that. And then we used to do a lot of car journeys on holidays. And we love the Welsh countryside and coast and also the Lake District and, and the Cornish and Devon coastline was all places we would go. And we had in the car this like suitcase full of cassettes of albums and my parents really loved music uh, so it was, it was always quite fun yeah, I've got many memories of of the sort of things like the Steve Miller band Fly Like an Eagle driving to these beautiful places and stuff so yeah we were really really lucky Records podcast. My 
dad had a friend who was a painter called Gordon and he painted the musicians on stage at a jazz club and my parents and grandparents took us when I was six years old to watch this big jazz uh, event and there was a jazz big band playing and they played um, Milestones by Miles Davis and um, Dizzy Gillespie's A Night in Tunisia and both of them had trumpet solos but also huge energy because it was a big band and I remember we used to go regularly after that as well because my parents realised that we as children loved it like my elder brother Jonathan also loved it and played and learnt saxophone and uh, so we yeah both of us started to study uh, I decided to play trumpet at six but I, I couldn't actually hold the trumpet so I started on a cornet and then when I was big enough to play a trumpet I, I switched to trumpet and I studied really intensely out of school um, I had some really good teachers and progressed better at that than anything else that I was studying in school it was basically art and music from a very very early age were the two things that I felt happy about one of my goals when I was first started playing was to eventually play in the big band that I saw on stage when I was six years old and I actually played with them for quite a long time I got to play with them from the age of 14 to like maybe 19 years old I just I toured half of the world with them uh, which was amazing we played in Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, uh, Perth, Sydney, Brisbane in Australia and New Orleans and the older I got the more I became skilled to to be able to do solos and improvising in the big band. In the big band you have four to five trumpet players and the first what they would call the lead trumpet plays all the high melodies and then the second trumpet plays all the solos uh, and I didn't really like playing high so I played the solos and and that's how I got my first experiences of improvisation on a stage in a professional environment and then from there I, I kind of wanted more independence so I started my own quartets and quintets and uh, my first memories of playing were on my own independently was basically playing Kind of Blue by Miles Davis and Footprints by Wayne Shorter and things like that. I loved modal jazz by this point. played piano um, I forgot to mention that in the house we always had a nice piano but it was a piano where it was in a beautiful electronic 
piano, like a high-end one that you could put headphones on and disappear from the world and make music. And um, I was writing a lot of solo piano music, which I've never released, but I have hours and hours worth of things that I wrote from that era. And um, so I was making music, meditating, and um, listening to a lot of new music. A friend that I made at the Maharishi School, the first thing he said to me is, um, you're a jazz musician and you play a lot of different types of music and stuff, I think you should come round to our house because uh, my parents have a really good record collection and I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, his name was Will Curley and his parents, Paul and Caroline, basically changed my life in the sense of what music I was listening to. So yeah, I went round and they introduced me to really contemporary, beautiful music by people like uh, Mr. Scruff and uh, the Detroit musicians and producers like Theo Parrish and Moody Man and Derek May and Jeff Mills and Juan Atkins and all sorts of stuff, like really interesting things like that. also introduced us to DJ culture. My friend Will got some decks and in his loft we used to learn, uh, this was at 14 we started learning how to DJ and they would take us to Manchester every weekend and we would go and buy records and then on a Saturday evening we would go upstairs and <laughs> play all the records we had and try to beat match them together and it was it was quite a a brilliant journey for me. Uh, that, that was the thing that triggered a lot of things. So, so you were kind of like meditating, but also introduced into the club culture at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two, you know, I, I don't. I think people often think that if you do meditation uh, and are spiritual, that you need complete peace and silence all the time. But actually. There's a beautiful openness and a, and a energy that you get from being uh, in a happier state, a more enlightened state. So you get more excited about more things, and um, that certainly happened for me. Uh, so. <laughs> Warp Record was founded in 1989 and Talking Loud in 1990 and the Ninja Tune in 1991 and Morwax was founded in 
movement was happening here and uh, what were you doing in the early 90s when all these things were bubbling? Well, I guess, um, again, through my friend's parents, we would listen to a lot of radio. Um, I, I would listen at home and at their house to people like Giles Peterson on Radio 1 and uh, Mr. Scruff uh, whenever he had a guest radio show. But they also took us to his residency in Manchester, which he only just started. And we, I think we either went to the very first one or... We were young and we got in. They managed to get us in, but uh, I am forever grateful for that opportunity because seeing Mr. Scruff DJ again opened my mind to so much music in a really eclectic and playful way. The way he he made music was amazing, but the way he DJed for five, six hours was really mind-blowing because he would play like really contemporary new jazz but he would also play fun old kind of um, stride piano stuff by Fat Swallow and people and you know obviously he sampled Moondog which was like a really brilliant old jazz record and but he'd play lots of trip hop hip hop but all of it had jazz in it and uh, in later years when I got to meet him and became friends with him and saw how much jazz he has in his record collection I can see now and remember he was just sort of feeding me this amazing education again out of school in nightclubs uh, I was learning about music in the best possible way through DJs He played Ferris Sanders' You've Gotta Have Freedom, which at the time, I loved it because of the energy on the dance floor, but when I discovered the rest of the album, it felt really close to the spiritual side of where I was at in my life. Uh, I was, you know, doing transcendental meditation, and then when I put on that album, uh, Journey to the One, there's so much beautiful meditative stuff in there and positivity and that I completely became obsessed with Ferris Sands and went and bought everything I could find. And then I realised that Ferris Sanders also played on Alice Coltrane's Journey in Sachi Dananda album, which completely changed my life because those two artists and the way they incorporated Indian and kind of Eastern sounds meant that I could creatively go back to playing trumpet and make a type of meditative, calm, spiritual jazz that combined all of the things that I loved like in my life at that point. But it, it took a while to, to learn how to kind of incorporate those instruments and find musicians that played things like harp in Manchester. <laughs> 
there was very few harpists. So I had to get a folk harpist and ask them to learn how to play jazz, basically. The first person I worked with is actually the first recording was Oneness, which we only released recently in the last five years. But that had a harpist called Stan, uh, who was 70 years old and used to play folk, but like in a really free, improvised way in Liverpool. And he was one of the first spiritual sort of players I played with. And then the band grew from there. Back to 2008, you first released Sending My Love from Gondwana Records, and that is the first release of the label. How did this whole thing happen, like releasing your first music? I was always obsessed with record labels. I think back to the quest, previous question, I think the you know, record labels like Ninja Tune and Warp had a huge impact on me.、Uh, me and my brother Daniel, we would、um, listen. And play on our Technics turntables pretty much everything from those two record labels and stuff off Mo Wax, a little bit of stuff off True Thoughts, and lots of stuff off Aphex Twins label was, was quite、uh, entertaining on Reflex Records.、Um, and I think that I knew I either wanted to be on Ninja Tune or Warp or create my own、uh, record label, but inspired by. Those labels. And of course, Manchester had Factory Records historically, which I also thought was quite amazing. Like the kind of community and kind of proudness of, of supporting incredible local artists. And really put Manchester on the map musically,、uh, that era of the Hacienda and all the brilliant bands on the label. So There was a point where what I was making didn't fit on any other record label. There w a s a lot of jazz, jazz record labels, but my music was a little bit more like modal jazz of the 60s, 70s at that point, but with a contemporary feel. So I just felt that the best option for me was to make my own record label.、Uh, <laughs> follow on from my mother's kind of. Entrepreneurial thing. She would always just say, Do it. What have you got? There's no, no problem with making mistakes and nothing to lose. So I saved up 
I think a thousand pounds working at Ticketmaster. Uh, had a job selling tickets for gigs, uh, which was great. And that money went on pressing 500 CDs of Send Them Love and also on the recording. I worked with an amazing engineer that was based in Manchester called Brendan Williams, who recorded a lot of the early stuff. He taught at Salford University sound engineering. So he had access to these beautiful ensemble rooms and Peel Hall, concert hall and things. And they had this one room that I really liked, which was an ensemble room in the Adelphi building, which sadly has been knocked down now. But it had this sort of New York feel to the space. Uh, the light was beautiful and acoustically was nice. It had a really nice upright piano and that's where we recorded we actually recorded Oneness first, that album, but never released it till recently. And then we recorded Send Him A Love, which was more immediately accessible. It was less big and open and spiritual jazz. It was a little bit more melodic and I guess somewhere between Miles Davis and Pharaoh Sanders and I don't know, maybe Yusef Latif at that point were influences and, and Soil and Pimp Sessions actually, who I discovered. In 2008 I was 25, uh, so I was recording when I was 24 and featuring all of my favourite musicians based in Manchester, which were all playing at Matt and Fred's Jazz Club, which is a, a beautiful old, again it looks like an American jazz club, like wooden floor and stage and used to have these red velvet curtains behind the band and a grand piano. and. At this period, Matt Nixon, the saxophonist, was he was running the, the club and booking everyone, and he had the most amazing kind of programming. And uh, a lot of musicians from the Cinematic Orchestra played there. A lot of the artists that were like the, the session musicians on trip hop records, like uh, the bassist from Lamb, uh, John Thorne, uh, and Chip Wickham was playing there, who at the time was. The Flautists with AIM and Ray and Christian and Only Child and um, so there was this really interesting bunch of musicians that were, they were passionate about jazz but they were also currently making trip-hop records and it was exactly the dream scenario for me because I, I loved Ninja Tune and all of these great musicians were playing that were featured on Ninja Tune and similar labels. So originally I didn't actually want to release under Matthew Hal Solo, I kind of wanted to do like community projects and, and feature them as the featured artists. But being a 24, 25 year old with very little money, no one was interested. So the first release was my name and my early compositions, but I still feel like it was like a collective of really amazing players that were featured 
rather than session side musicians. I, I put them front and center stage playing the main melodies and and still love working with Chip Wickham now and uh, John Thorne played bass on that album and uh, Nat Birchall actually played on it as well. He was at Matt and Fred's and I, and I just loved all of these musicians. I, I wish they'd all put out records. Luckily Nat Birchall and Chip Wickham did in the early days and, and recently um, but yeah there was loads that didn't and I, I've been trying ever since to convince great Manchester based musicians to put records out with us Gondwana Records Podcast. Coming up next in episode two, Matthew talks about his vision for the future, and we have a QA session. He will answer questions from his fans and Gondwana Records supporters. Thank you for listening and see you on the other side.